Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a man who is going to leave me to start his own film review podcast, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? You know, I'm 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 feeling good, Matt. I'm feeling good. You had you had quite the weekend predicting the Oscars. We'll get to that, our follow-up. I know everyone was really, really interested in our follow-up to our big Oscars podcast. So we'll get there in a second. But first, if you want to tweet us, tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I am at Hey It's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us podcast at RomanCircusBlog.com. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash RomanCircusPod. Find us on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us if you have a chance. Uh, we got a we got a bad review. Someone just came right down on us and said we were the worst thing ever. But uh, some Was that pe- the MAGA cheerleaders one? Yeah, some people stepped up after that and oh, gave yeah. us some five-star reviews after that, which is really nice. So uh, I just like that that MAGA guy was like so obsessed with us. You know, people tend to be obsessed. I guess he's an anti-maga guy, but he's anti. But it wouldn't be the first human being to be obsessed with us, Zach. Right. Well, that's for sure. Okay, so the Oscars or the last Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night. I Sunday was my grandma's birthday, so we were hanging out with grandma, and after that, I made. I made my mom and my brothers watch the first two minutes of Jojo Rabbit, and my mom said, I would like to watch that. And I was like, well, I can do that. So my parents and I sat down and watched Jojo Rabbit, Zach. Which Love it. Great. So good. They liked it. It's, uh, yeah, there were some laughs all around and some oh wows and some, yeah, it was fun. But anyway, so then I, I recorded the Oscars, and I kind of sped through. I, I fast forwarded up until they were like, and the winner is. Uh, clearly, the winner was uh, the viewing public and Bong Joon Ho, Zach. Yes, Bong Joon Ho from um, from South Korea was the director of Parasite, which took home several awards, especially like best director and best picture. Yeah, best and picture, so best director, and best screenplay zach he won like yeah for writing and best international and write he won for writing and directing and overalling he did it all and he made and even more important zach he made the oscars kiss did you see that picture of him holding the statues like they were kissing (laughs) i did not oh man i'll send it to you it's a sweet just like it's like a just looks like a child playing with his toys and he just had this nice look on his face. It was very sweet. That is, that does sound very sweet. So he um, is from South Korea and is not fluent in English. So when he would give his acceptance speeches, he would usually have a couple things that he would say, but then the rest of it he would say, um, and, and then his translator would translate it into English. And he, I guess the translator lady has been going with the Parasite crew to all the award shows. So, um, somebody made like a compilation video of like all of her scenes and like put music behind it. And I don't know, made like a whole thing of it, but she seemed to be having as much fun as the crew. So I, 
it wasn't like she was just like an impartial observer doing the translation. She was like celebrating right along with. Um, they had a they were having a blast. They really and they were. I I texted you when they were reading off the nominations for best picture. I texted you, "Oh man, Parasite's actually going to do this, aren't they?" That's like the first time it dawned on me that Parasite was going to win. When they won adapted screenplay and beat, which in that category they beat out the Joker and Little Women and um, other like very talked about adapted screenplay or no, yeah, they won. Or no, they won best original. Yeah, best original. Jojo screenplay? Rabbit. Won okay, that. that's right. That's right. So they won best original screenplay, which was the same category as nineteen seventeen. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, I thought, oh man, because I was saying, I, I assume they're going to just give the award to 1917 because it had gotten so much buzz early on in award season. And it was, you know, such a, basically a big movie. Um, but when that happened, I was like, oh, like maybe the Academy is really feeling Parasite. And I, you know, before I'd hoped it would win. But yeah, and as the night went on, it, it seemed to be apparent that Parasite was was a favorite for the Academy. And I mean, it's such a good movie. Like there were people cause so the Joker did extremely well in Europe and it didn't do very well at the Academy Awards here. And I didn't see a ton of people talking about that, but there were people act, saying that it was some kind of bias and yada, yada. And like, having seen the Joker and Parasite and really liking both, I think that the Academy was just biased in favor of the superior film like that. You know, I, I don't think that Joker lost because it was a message of white resentment or whatever. I think the Joker was a great movie and Parasite was a greater movie in the eyes of the Academy. And I think if you watch them both, that's not that hard of a conclusion to reach. I uh, thought it was great. I didn't really have much of an issue with it at all. Um, yeah. It, uh... And then I was really pumped that Jojo Rabbit won, um, adap- or won, yeah, adapted screenplay because I didn't really know if it was going to get recognized for anything because it was in such tough categories. Like I would have loved to have, I thought ScarJo could have won Best Supporting Actress, but they gave it to Laura Dern for mm-hmm. Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. And her acceptance speech is what made, won me over to her winning the award. Like I didn't, I was kind of bummed because I was like, I would have liked to see Jojo Rabbit, Scarlett Johansson take home the so what one, supporting role. What won you over about Laura Dern's acceptance speech? She said that her parents were her heroes and thanked them both by name. And I saw it that. was just very charming and upbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Pitt won the first award and he was like, the Academy says I have 45 seconds which is 45 more seconds than John Bolton got. He he basically like he gave a the acceptance speech your crazy uncle would give on Facebook speech. Yeah, or I mean those people that are constantly mad about Trump. Yeah. And so now like they're standing John Bolton and then he's like I maybe maybe Tarantino will have to make a John Bolton movie to get his story out there. Yeah, maybe and maybe John my comment maybe is that Quentin can make a movie and this time where the this time the adults win or whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it was something where like, okay, well, if Quint, my comment to that was if Quentin Tarantino were to try to do a movie about John Bolton's contributions to foreign policy, it would be by far the bloodiest and goriest movie that Quentin Tarantino has ever made. <laughs> and like, that's hard to do considering Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, however, Brad Pitt deserved the award and it great. was the only, he was really great that I remember I yeah I mean the, he he did really well in the character and his, his facial fillers were a bit aggressive like faces don't faces do don't fill his, like the that. lower the, what the lower the lower half of his face that's not how faces look mm-hmm. uh, in nature but um good for him for wanting to stay young and you know he did great in the movie obviously he made a joke about Leo DiCaprio's butt that was that was funny mm-hmm. he's like. I love riding your coattails. Such a great view. Um, Something along those lines. So anyway, he definitely deserved it. And to my memory, that was the only explicit reference to Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, The other indirect references were people that were like, you know, I'm so proud of being black and queer and saying it in this way of like, I think they think that like orange man's just like having a meltdown watching it. Yeah. Um, I don't really think that's the case. Like, I really just don't think Trump was watching. It was like, Oh my goodness. Not only is this person black, but they're queer. I'm so mad. Mm -hmm. Um, so those were fine. I mean, and people were shouting out to their immigrant parents and stuff and they would, you know, emphasize the word. Um, but that was kind of funny and that just, but it was nice to not have every speech be like, and so let's talk about Donald Trump. Like there were a dozen fantastic films put out, but let's take the three hours a year that we, we devote to, you know, motion picture arts and sciences and make it more coverage of Trump. So that part was nice. Um, Joaquin Phoenix won best actor for the Joker Mm -hmm. and gave his acceptance speech in character. (laughs) Yeah, that was um, there. Okay, the, or it seemed like it at least. The two, the two speeches I wanted to talk about were Joaquin Phoenix. Basically, he's a vegan, so he went on his vegan rant about which is fine. He can have these. He can, he can have his vegan beliefs about how we we rip the cow from the mother and take the milk, and you know, factory farming and the some, art. Remember, he said artificially inseminated cow. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of sympathetic to that idea like they they i saw a video of how they basically artificially inseminate chickens in like this giant factory farming situation and it wasn't that pleasant i didn't stop eating chicken it's great but the point is like like the practices you know they can be a little tough to watch right and it does call into question uh the morality of certain things but i mean really like kim people are dying you know, like that's well, and that's what I think is funny is that like with certain people, most of the time they're white, they decide they want to be woke and they skip past like working people who want health care and, you know, poor people who need housing and they skip down all the way to like, again, artificially inseminated cows. And to that same point, it's almost like funny in a dark way that you know something that's essentially just material like a cow um becomes so important and 
yet human suffering doesn't really get mentioned. And he didn't necessarily exclude human suffering. And again, he's a vegan, so he was promoting veganism. Um, it's just funny to put, you know, the to like be talking about marginalized people and then throw in animals like there's some kind of comparison there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I'm pretty sure only like white Hollywood people do this because like everybody else recognizes that there's a lot of human suffering that needs to be addressed. Um, but yeah, it was funny and it just, I don't know, it felt like he was giving his speech in costume and it, yeah, you know, I mean, he's been well, in a tough he, spot he considering how the movie hit with some. Went people. around and faked a rap career for a documentary and did a really good job at fooling everyone. Oh, speaking of, there was this completely unannounced random appearance by Eminem performing Lose Yourself. Mm-hmm. Completely unnecessary. I'm still confused about it. And, like, I mean, again, for this Oscars being so heavily criticized for being so white why did they have a white rapper like it was just one of those where i'm like well that's just what this year's oscars needs a white rapper oscar award um, winner though well yeah from a 2003 um i would have rather had three, three six, six mafia, mafia do hard out there for yeah a they were closer it was closer in time they're they're more recent i know um so that was just very strange like i was like why is this happening like is this necessary? And it, it wasn't. Um, and I, I saw nobody has yet to return my calls about why, why they booked him. Um, <laughs> uh, the, so that happened. You wanted to talk about the other speech. Yeah. That you wanted to mention our girl, Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Okay. So I used to mix her name with, um, uh, Reese Witherspoon and call them Renice Wiggerspoon or something. Nice. Like that, nice. Really Not at all problematic. Um, it was not a good speech, Zach. It was kind of rambly, no. and it didn't was not all that coherent. Well, I I think kinda is doing a lot of work if we're describing it as kind of rambly. Yeah. So we talked about it, and I told you my Renee Zellweger theory about why. Right. It was... You know her. <laughs> she stayed at the at a hotel I worked at in Hollywood. With you? Uh, oh, sure. With my hotel. She trying to spread rumors. She was so incredibly nice. And like, it wasn't just me who thought this. Everybody thought she was so incredibly nice, like so friendly. So many thank you. So many acknowledgements, just always smiling. Like we couldn't have been, couldn't have been any more, any less stuck up. Like just a normal person. She's from Texas, Zach. It makes total sense, right? Right. She's from here. She's from down here. Yeah. My my friend Kevin, who's still in L.A. and hotels, multi- like t- will tell people that she's basically the nicest person, nicest celebrities ever met, right? So- I like that. Because like, when you move to L.A., like the first thing that happens is you meet somebody who has a horror story of meeting Ellen in real life. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to hear the opposite of like, no, this person's actually is you know, Ellen. Is Ellen life. not good in real life? Well, it's. I mean, I've never. I don't know her. Oh. I've just heard that. Yeah, like off screen, she's not the nicest person. But I mean, I try to stay above all that. Fair enough. So, uh, my theory, basically, because you know, I like Renee Zellweger and she's great, and I was very happy for her. Is I think that 
she was she was basically forced into a position where she thought she had to give a speech like the one she did leading to her being too uncomfortable to actually pull it off now when i say she was out of her out of her depth i don't mean that she is stupid or like you know unintelligent i just think that where if you're walking phoenix and you basically do two things you act and you give rambly speeches about things political issues you're in your element whether or not it sounds good like his was kind of weird but but if you're renee zellweger who is very sweet and very normal and you have won this award and you've you're just so excited because uh, you could tell she was like was forgetting words and she was kind of confused like it just was not her she tried to do right because she said that thing about like across she said across genders i mean generations yeah so she I ba- think was one of the basically what happened was she went for went for it whether she felt like she had to or not and it uh it just did not go well because it's not really her thing right well and i mean i don't know like think about really kind people in your own life who are not you know super online or super sophisticated in like their language and they're not you know up on the lingo and they don't do basically what we do all day and like consume content and participate in the dialogue and then be like, we're going to throw you up in front of the whole country and angry grad students are going to dissect your speech to death to decide if you were being woke enough or not and yada, yada, yada. And so then you hear trying to say like, talk about inclusivity and diversity and things like that when, you know, I mean, most of that stuff is grad school lingo like like you're gonna i mean just like think about the nicest person you know could would you put them in front of the whole audience like talk about intersectionality yeah no it it, um i i think she yeah it would just it just went rough and i you know i guess you if you win one of the big oscars you're expected to have some sort of you know side side swipe at some issue yeah so that's interesting. I mean, I guess then we give her a pass. I, I, if you put it in terms of she's a very sweet person and maybe not the most sophisticated speaker on social commentary. Well, I think, then, but I think, or she, like culture wars. Like, I think basically she has she's, she's not a culture warrior. Well, yeah, no, I, yeah. I think she has beliefs. She's just not like, if I, I bet if I would almost guarantee if you went to the Oscar parties, she, is not engaged in the whatever conversation is happening. And she'll actually, I would like to think because we like Renee Zellweger that she actually will ask people questions about their lives and show interest in them instead of just being a walking political machine. That's basically my, right. that's that makes my sense. Thought. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, no, we were very, um, we were very happy to see her win in my, in my household. That's good. There was another short film that won called Hair Love. I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but um, they mentioned in it what's called the Crown Act in California. And it's a law about hair that basically certain natural hairstyles for primarily black people are like against dress code in certain businesses. And so in order to work, people have to put really 
harsh chemicals in their hair to relax it that causes all kinds of problems and can like burn their scalp off. Um, I had heard about this years ago when Chris Rock did a documentary called Good Hair. I didn't know there was like a law being proposed to fix it. So I think it's kind of a cool thing to look at at the Crown Act in California. Um, and if you're listening from California, I think you should support it personally. But you know, basically, I, I shouldn't really be against dress code if your if your hair is clean and like styled in a way that's natural. Um, that that should be in dress code. Like it it grows that way. Um, and it's weird because I guess in a lot of places you're allowed to have like blue and purple hair at work now. So you would you would think you'd be able to have your your natural hair. Um, at work so just something to uh just a small not a small issue but an issue to keep to look into that i don't think a lot of people think about yeah it's uh well there was a lot of talk about how uh hotels only stock one kind of shampoo like i've seen people talk about how like hair hair is like a thing that really go like people don't think about but it's kind of a big barrier in terms of culture so it's uh yeah yeah well and i i I don't think a lot of people realize that like the process that some people have to go through to like make their hair conform to expectations involves really dangerous chemicals and they're putting these on like young people like kids heads to like relaxer and stuff um so yeah the that's just something to keep in mind and it was one of those things where it I like that that issue got a shout out at the Oscars because that is kind of an intersection between art and the rest of society that like, you know, hair. I mean, it, it's a visual thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I thought that was an interesting way that like kind of clash of, of issues there. Um, yeah. So I think our predictions were, were pretty solid as far as like how we thought things were going to go. Um, we had said Little Women for costumes, and it won. Um, we said Bombshell for makeup and hair, and it won. Um, cinematography, that one was pretty obvious, but we were right on. I was, I was really pleased with our, uh, our results. I didn't really have a prediction for Best Actress. And then for Best Supporting Actress, I was hoping it was Scarlett Johansson, but I, I don't think I really put any confidence in it being that. So... Did you feel like I feel like you and I we now qualify as like serious, sophisticated film critics? I, yeah, that's all. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's all you need is some sort of platform and a voice, and we have both of those for you know for better or worse. So I think that qualifies us, Zach. I'm down. I'm totally down. <laughs> also, Mark Ruffalo, isn't he? Like a Trump guy or conservative or something? Ruffalo? No way. No, no. No, no, no. Who am I thinking? I don't know, but Ruffalo is very much not. Okay, never mind then. Because he presented, or maybe he presented a presenter, which was like literally a thing. Oh, yeah. Um, And I was like, I thought he was canceled for being... Or no, maybe it's the guy from... Like the you, the you can do it guy from Waterboy? Mm-hmm. There's some celebrity guy that does comedy and has like black hair who I think is like a Trump guy. 
but like somehow not completely canceled. So I don't know. If anyone knows who I'm referring Rob to, Schneider? please let me know because I'm. Rob Schneider is he? Yeah, but I don't know if he's popular or people care enough to cancel him. Yeah, I mean that's the nice thing is like you do have to have you have to be canceled from something. So if you, if you don't have anything, you're not gonna get canceled obviously because you can't. Um, so yeah, those the Academy Awards. I I had fun, and I will say again, I've never really paid attention that much attention to it. I've never made a concerted effort to see the films that were nominated. And it it's fun. Like, it was a fun three-hour, you know, Sunday evening activity to see how the movies I liked did and, um, you know, just sort of observe all of it. So, you know, don't, like, live your life based on the Academy or anything like that. But, you know, I think participating in these things can be kind of fun and harmless and just a, a way to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I give it two thumbs up. Good. All right. That's a uh, that's our news. What uh so lead us into what you wanted to talk about. This is another Zach. Uh, this is a Zach episode. So if you don't like it, at Zach Mabry. Just kidding. You'll love it. This is a both of us episode, of course. <laughs> um, so yeah. we talk. So we talk a lot about things we see people doing, Catholics or whatnot. Um, and we tend to shoot things down like when open letters come out or petitions or boycotts. We're usually pointing out that this is not something to do and it's dumb and whatever. And the critique is always that, you know, we're burying our heads in the sand or, you know, somebody's got to do these things or, or, or you know, at least people, you know, when, when people were boycotting Netflix, they're like, at least we're doing something. And my argument was like, well, but you're not like you're you're very literally not doing a thing Mm -hmm. like the action that you're taking is going to have no impact on anything. So like to classify it as doing something is just wrong. Um, So, you know, I guess this episode, it's kind of what, what's a Catholic to do? I'm talking about how do you, um, you know, as somebody who's interested in furthering the mission of the church and the mission of Jesus Christ, what what kinds of things could you do since we're usually saying don't do anything as far as, you know, I'm trying to think of examples. I mean, obviously, there have been plenty of open letters and petitions and, um, you know, oh, such and such parish is having Father James Martin speak. Here's their, you know, pastor cell phone number. Call him over and over and over and over again. Um these kind of mob activities, like the sort of church militant.com approach. Mm-hmm. Right. Not the church militant in the proper sense. That's what we're all part of uh, on earth. Um, so yeah, I, I think going through what types of things you can't do. Does that, does that make sense, Matt? I think it is probably important. Uh, so when we started this podcast, our very first episode was going to be about Medjugorje, and we recorded that episode, and you can hear it on Patreon.com. But anyway, we recorded it and then decided that we should not have our first episode be kind of a downer because we wanted to fill the positive bucket before we touch the negative bucket. Well, maybe the negative bucket's overflowing at this point, Zach. 
So we uh we perhaps sh- we should probably get back to some some of the positives. And we're positive people. Yeah. We just also like it is an issue because we we don't we're want not to be trying reaction. to be trad contrarians. Right. Like it's not like we see what what church militant or one Peter five is doing and just always say or life site and say do the opposite. It's it's a in most cases at least I personally think that they're taking the wrong course of action. And a lot of those people would say the same about us. But anyway, well, they do. And, you know, I mean, most of it, most people behind the scenes are friends, but like, and we, I mean, that's the thing Like, we get people saying to us that we're just saying, bury your heads in the sand and pretend that the church doesn't have a crisis happening or just do nothing. And, you know, not care about, you know, basically accusing us of like quietism. Mm hmm. Okay, so um, so yeah, we're not not picking on anybody here. Okay, so where do we begin? Well, I think a a place to begin is to kind of get your framework straightened out. Um, so our most important mission is to end up in heaven forever with God. That's what God primarily wants for us. Anything that we would do that would put this in jeopardy is not what God wants us to do, no matter how good that thing feels. Um, or no matter how much we want to do this thing, we're, we're never supposed to sacrifice our salvation. Even, and this is a weird topic, but people that think that they're somehow sacrificing their salvation like for others. Um, so that's our primary duty. And the way that you end up in heaven is, of course, you die in the state of grace. And there's no way to guarantee that happens as far as like any kind of full trick thing, except for practicing the habit of being in the state of grace and, you know, praying for a happy death. And so always step one has to be your own soul. You know, it's kind of the airport, the airplane security video. Like you've got to secure your mask before you secure the mask of the people around you. Mm, um, very good. A call back to your days working in airlines. Yes, the glory day. <laughs> um, so that's always has to be step one. So, I mean, that means, you know, things like going to confession, praying the rosary. Like These are really important things, and these are primarily what God would have you do, first and foremost. Um, and then obviously, you know, if you're the devil or whatever, your first priority is for people to neglect their own souls and end up in hell so like your first step at opposing evil and turning to the good starts with your own soul um so that's got to be you know primary and then beyond that is the duties of your station in life so you're not being called to do anything that cause that requires you to neglect your um children your aging family members your spouse things like that which would include things like being too involved in types of activism that you're not able to earn a living. Um, so it's not just having time for the people around you, but it's also, you know, if you're the head of a household, you need to be uh, making money. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you lose your job because you're spending too much time on Catholic blogs, that's not, that, that seems to go against uh, what would be necessary to do. Does that make sense? Totally. It- that's what I would, it's good to go to daily mass, but if you're going to daily mass and neglecting 
your job or like getting food for your kids and that daily mass becomes a hindrance at that point. Right. And so, and you know, we do have a certain duty if we don't take vows of poverty, we have a certain duty to, to provide for our own needs to the extent that we're able so that people who are not able or people who have vowed poverty, we, like they, so that support and almsgiving goes to them. Like if you're able to not need almsgiving, then that's, it's important to kind of set yourself up for, um, you know, don't get too fanatical about that, but basically it's saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta provide for yourself when it's possible to do so. Um, if you're in a context where it is possible, but instead you're again, constantly reading blogs or watching autoplay after autoplay on YouTube, um, or I, I turn off know, calling, autoplay personally. Yeah, I would recommend there's going to, they're looking into laws to have that disabled. Um, but you know people get so involved in what i what you and i tend to call the info war so you know that's not your duty and i mean to an extent you have no obligation as a layperson to know what's going on in the church um it's good to know the name of the pope and really you don't have to know anything else about him um there's just no need to do it so if it disturbs you if it causes you to have trouble praying or to consider leaving the church, whatever, just just quit paying attention to it. You're not going to be quizzed on the Amazon Synod at your judgment. So you can just ignore that it ever happened. If it disturbs you or, or causes any kind of problem knowing about these things, then just make the decision not to know about them. Right. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, in that sense, like, go play tennis, go... Go bowling, um, walk your dog. None of that is somehow frivolous in light of the church's crisis and needs to be put, set aside so that you can stay informed. Um, you, you really just have no obligation to stay informed as a lay. We, we, like me, obviously included, have no obligation. And when, when I've had times where I'm too overwhelmed by things, I, you know, I, it, it takes a while to commit to it, but I you know, remove myself from staying aware of things. Um, because, you know, God governs the church through Peter and his successors, um, and the bishops in communion with Peter. And so he, you know, he doesn't need Zach Mabry to govern the church. I have no governing responsibilities in the church and, you know, God designed it so that I didn't have any authority, you know, that that's how God has ordered things. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, my awareness of things that go on in the church and the actions I do with, with regards to it don't matter and, and will never matter um and that's a relief yeah it it really is it is like a huge part of i don't know if growing in the faith is correct to say because that sounds like i'm insulting peter people who uh who care like care about things but really like there is there is a big relief and like a big it's a, a a big growth in letting go. Again, we don't like the let go and let God because it sounds cheesy, but kind of in that way, right? Like it, you if you you get to a point where you, as they say, trust the process or trust trust that, for example, the church won't church will not end in your lifetime, right? It just like it. There are just certain things that 
you can start if you take take time to actually focus on it starts to chip away at the other stuff and i and right. it, it helped me certainly cuz i was all in a huff and i get worked up about things but you kind of just slowly allow things to chip away and it and you still it still leaves room like i I still care about things and then occasion I'll get a little worked up about things. So I'm not saying like it's completely gone and you shouldn't, but I certainly wasn't, I I'm certainly was glad to not having to be able to like clutch my, my worries any longer. Yeah. Well, and then the rebuttal that we always get for that is, well, what about Catherine of Siena? And, you know, Catherine of Siena did criticize the Pope um, she you know, she did it like we we've talked about. You read the letter that she sent him and how loving it was and humble. And she you know she wasn't calling him by his first name or, or even his last name. Um, so if if you think that you're being Catherine of Siena by you know clapping back at Bergoglio, uh, you you aren't. I mean, and that's just something to come to terms with. And then you know, the other thing, by the time Catherine of Siena was doing all of this. She had advanced into the, in the spiritual life such that she was no longer committing venial sins. So, you know, if if you're in that circumstance, if you were, you know, if mortal sins are totally off the table for you and venial sins are so rare that you can hardly remember the last time you, you committed one, then maybe have a conversation with your spiritual director about whether you may be 2020's Catherine of Siena. But the rest of us aren't, we're, we're not Catherine of Siena and you're a million billion times more likely to have a false positive of thinking that you have a unique uh, mission that she has. You're so much more likely to think that and it not be true than you are to somehow have that mm-hmm. and neglect it, you know? Um, so, and my mentions, every time I bring this up, my mentions are just full of people, you know, Catherine of Siena, like one of my favorite saints, doctor of the church, love Catherine of Siena. Like, I don't think anybody that takes time away from prayer to listen to podcasts is today's Catherine Siena. So I, I think we can like categorically exclude everybody who hears this sentence. Um, <laughs> or speaks it. And like, well, well, of course, yeah. First person speaking it is not even in the conversation. Um, so there, there's a certain amount of, it, it's God chose that the church would be governed by the clergy. He gave a sacrament specifically for that, the sacrament of holy orders. Um, and, and that's how God wants the church run. He, he doesn't go about it any other way. And he's managed to do this and do a great job. You know, he's managed to keep it all together through this model for 2000 years, through all kinds of stuff. So even if, if the current generated current situation is faced with problems that don't have some kind of direct precedent in history, I think just the wide variety of things that have happened and miniature crises and whatever, and our Lord's promise himself that it would endure until the end of time should kind of let you know that if your, you know, if your name, if your first name isn't father or bishop or cardinal, you probably can take a step back. Like you have no positive obligation to involve yourself or concern yourself with the governing of the church itself. Okay. So what do you do? Um, 
I, I think you have to look at again. So the church, this is a mindset thing. The church is a visible society started by Jesus Christ, governed by Peter and his successors and the bishops in communion with him. So if you're wanting to, you know, if you're wanting to advance, you know, support the cause, basically, if you're wanting to, you know, put your faith into action and you're wanting to do things, it has to be um, in cooperation with the institutional church. Right. And that's something that I think people are starting to forget and it's kind of like well the bishops won't proclaim the faith or the bishops are modernists or the pope is a liberal and so i'm just gonna we're just gonna spread the true faith our way or we're just gonna do the job that they won't do um and that's not it's not possible for a lay person to to like pick up the slack that way um and again it's not how the church the 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 hierarchy, the structure of it, you know, the priests or the people under the priests, under the bishops, under the pope, is part of the deposit of faith. So it it doesn't, you know, the there's not some kind of thing where suddenly it's you're in charge because your bishop, you know, sucks. Like you just aren't, and so you have to work. You know, if if you're wanting to work towards the one cause, it has to be, you know in conjunction with the institutional church. That doesn't mean you can't have apostolates. It doesn't mean you can't have podcasts. It doesn't mean you can't have blogs. But it it does mean that these things can't exist as separate from, you know, your diocese, your parish, things. Like, they can't be, like, rogue. So, you know, in most cases, the church is pretty generous in letting us just do what we want as far as, you know, this kind of stuff and websites and blogs and all that. But, you know, I mean, if you're actively encouraging people to stop financially supporting the institutional church, um, you know, one, you're encouraging them to go against the precepts of one of the church's, the precepts. And then, I mean, two, you're, you're working in direct contradiction to your bishop. And so you're not advancing the cause. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to get involved, um, support your diocese, support your parish. I mean, parish level is where saints are made. Saints are not made from reading documents, um, you know, papal decrees, apostolic exhortations, or, you know, the, the, the proceedings of synods. Saints are created at the parish by receiving the sacraments and becoming holy. So, you know, I think one of the most efficacious things that we can have is the traditional Latin mass spreading the Latin mass is, you know, on a practical level prior, like that is priority one. Um, and to do that, you're going to need the approval of a Bishop to have the Latin mass in a diocese. The Bishop has to invite you. And so if, if you have, if you behave in a way that, creates a situation so that when the bishop thinks latin mass he thinks nasty rude toxic people that you know constantly critique everything um and protest everything then you're you're not helping mm-hmm. um you know oh i want why would i not want to give you guys a parish you guys uh you know 
encourage everybody to boycott the diocese whenever. Of course, I'd love to have you here. Um, you know, and maybe your bishop is a progressive or a liberal or whatever. It happens. Um, plenty of plenty of progressive liberal modern seeming bishops have invited the lat you know the fraternity of saint peter or the institute or some some group or just a priest in the diocese to offer the latin mass and it, it happens because people built relationships and they made their case to the bishop um it, if that makes you see if it, you know it'd be great if it was just everywhere i i agree but that isn't the situation and so you know i understand that it can be it can seem almost like groveling at times, but that's that's what we need to be doing. Signing open letters and petitions doesn't take any effort or anything, but actively working to build up, you know, your parish or the the liturgy in your diocese through forming relationships and basically asking permission. Um, that's that's important work that you know could take years. It may not even happen in your lifetime. You know, I go to a very large Latin mass parish that people spent decades just trying to get, you know, allowed to meet basically in a basement like once a month. And now we have our own building and we're official parish. But I mean, none of that could have happened without the bishop. And so if we were constantly accusing him of being a heretic or a modernist or hating the Latin mass or whatever, or, you know, we were never supporting the diocese, we would never have we wouldn't have our parish. Um so do you have anything to say kind of along those lines? For better or worse, I mean, I obviously it's better because it's within the line of the church, but I say for worse because there are some bishops, obviously, in the past that have been troublesome, but it still flows through them, right? Like it doesn't, it, it, we can't, we, we don't, we can't side, side skirt any bad bishop to get something done because then we're immediately taking ourselves out of the out of the church really so like it just that's what it takes it doesn't revert to anarchy when you get a bad bishop right so you just and you you i mean you'll find i've i've been lucky enough to be in two dioceses where they've been very welcoming to the mass and the bishops and um yeah it's just it and also it there is a humbling aspect about not only having to wait to get stuff done, but you know, we, we wish we wouldn't have to wait, but like going through the direct channels, there is a a humbling and like a, just an aspect of it all that reminds you our place and where we're supposed to be within the, you know, the hierarchy of the church. When we get, we can find ourselves getting into trouble when we like just look to do things on our own or at our own pace so it it really is like the obedience is a huge thing as we say we've said before here like the church really only asks one thing of us and it's obedience right and when you when if you were just to boil everything down it's to one solitary thing it's obedience and it it uh as long as we're obedient then it's just easier to stay within the church obviously so like we don't want to we don't want to like buffer our Catholicism with a rebellious tendency. And that does not mean that means that that does include like being within, being within our, being within our station does mean if, 
if a priest or a bishop says something wrong, like, you know, if you have children or if you're in the authority over someone, you can correct it, right? But as far as getting stuff done, there's still it still needs to happen through the hierarchy. And it helps remind us right. of that thing, which is good because, like, it, it's one of the best— I mean, the church has a lot of great things, but the hierarchy is what sets us apart from other, den- like, Christian denominations, right? They they don't have the hierarchy. They don't have, like, the longevity that Catholicism does, obviously. So it it's, as much as it can be frustrating, it gives us, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird chance to celebrate that unbroken line that has been there this whole time. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, for Protestants, it's not that big of a deal if Pastor Bob opens up a new church in a strip mall one day because there's not a, there's not a, a divinely instituted authority. And so, you know, if God's going to go out of his way to give us a divinely instituted authority, you know, I think to a certain extent we can, um, we can learn a, a certain bit of docility um, in governance matters. Now, that obviously, if your personal safety is, is in question— um, you know, that's one thing, but I, I, I think that you really need to take that literally. So like, if you're talking about disclosures of, you know, scandals that happened two decades ago under a different Bishop and your Bishop's not just turning over all the archives to the public for scrutiny. I mean, that isn't a legitimate cause. Um, if people aren't in danger, then, you know, I mean, exposing all this stuff to the public isn't a solution. It's not going to fix the problem. Um, it, it, you know, it, it can put pressure to an extent, but usually it just increases the incentive to cover things up or look the other way. So working in conjunction with your diocese, with the institutional church, um, you know, is a tangible thing. A specific goal that I really recommend having is to have, is the goal of having a Latin mass said at your diocese cathedral. Um, there are many dioceses that haven't had a, a Latin mass in their cathedral since the new mass was introduced. Um, you know, and I think some people think it'll never, ever happen again. Um, I think this is an important goal because, again, it's it's with and in conjunction with the institutional church. And, it you know, the cathedral is the seat of the diocese. Um, and, you know, I think that can kind of help you orient your activities because you're going to need obviously the bishop's um, permission since it's his cathedral, but also the people, you know, the rector and the people who run the cathedral. Um, So it's important to build relationships and involve yourself in the diocese in order to make these things happen. Um, You know, if you, you know, work full-time in kind of a capacity of in administration or whatever, you know, go work at the chancery in your diocese and do an extremely good job, you know, be at work on time every day, um, be a very good employee. And when opportunities present themselves, advocate for the Latin mass or, um, you know, bring your traditional mass missile to work and just sit it on your desk. So people see it. I mean, basically what we want to do is take the the things that we see as important the latin mass traditional devotions and we want them you know normalized again and that's going to have to happen through the ordinary through the bishop and so um you know from a practical standpoint i think that's building on 
the structure that God gave us as opposed to trying to set up something else. Um, so yeah, get Latin mass in your diocese and then basically get involve yourself, take up space in the various structures within your diocese, whether that's the chancery, um, or, you know, any official groups like the schools and whatever. And, you know, but again, be, you know, the person where they think, Oh, we're so thankful that we hired you because you've made such a difference. And then when you have a shot, you plug the Latin mass. It's not like, oh, okay, we've got this Latin mass here. So everybody don't mention that you watched TV last night or that you let your wife wear pants or, you know, I mean, don't be, you know, if, if you're going to be like that, then, you know, stay home and pray for the people that are venturing out into uh, the world. Um, so yeah, that's an important goal. Um, when you're working in the church, it's just, again, have a frame of mind that says, you know, I have to be, I have to work with the institutional church, not against it. And God has called the clergy to govern the church, not the laity. Um, and, you know, that can kind of help you think up more ideas to get involved. Um, the other thing is if you're, you know, not planning to kind of work full time in you know, a, a church capacity or, you know, in, work to have a Latin mass set in your diocese, you know, work to orient different spheres of life towards the church, um, you know, to the extent that you're possible. So obviously that starts with your, like we said, your soul and your own family. But if you're a business owner, you know, you, you should run your business based on Catholic principles and you should pay heed to what we're being asked for, um, you know, to do by the church. Um, you know, if you're in really kind of any sort of role, you want to orient everything towards proper authority, which since the time of Christ has been the Catholic church. And so whether you're, um, in education or business or government or healthcare or wherever, um, you want to be, you know, respecting right authority and orienting those under you, uh, in that way. Um, and ultimately that's going to require diplomacy. It's going to require engaging with people who aren't Catholic, who are Catholic, but don't practice people who are hostile. It's going to find a way to exist with them. Um, you know, in the short run so that for the long run, you know, what we pray for after every low mass, the triumph of the, and the triumph and exhortation of the church, ex exaltation of the church. Um, you know, it's all very important to do. You know, um, there's a heresy called donatism. And I think a lot of people think about it in terms of, you know, back in the old days of the Roman martyrs, there were priests who, instead of being martyred, um, apostatized and, you know, worshipped the pagan gods and goddesses with incense and whatnot. And then when they wanted to repent and come back, people were like, oh, no, you guys are, you know, impure. You guys are sinners. Like, the sacraments from you can't be valid. And we mostly think about it in terms of, you know, can bad priests confect the Eucharist, which we say yes. You also have to look at donatism in light of the church's mission on earth. Um, if the church had just these excessive purity standards where everybody is excluded um, based on really tight criteria from life in the church. You know, if, if the church was only the saints and the, the sinners weren't part of the church, um, you know, the church would 
would never would have always would have stayed small. Um, you know, you see this in politics. Um, you know, I, the example that comes to mind is the Democrats have become very dogmatic about abortion to the extent of they're fine letting people walk away from the party and losing those votes if they're pro-life because they've now said this is a core thing. So when we're talking about our actual core principles, the dogmas and doctrines of the faith, you know, strictly speaking, we never compromise on those. Um, but we we do have to understand that the church is going to have sinners and without sinners, the church can't grow. The church can't have saints without sinners because all of the saints started out as sinners. And you know, the apostles, as they were spreading the church, you know, it took hundreds of years, but eventually the entire empire, the Roman empire converted. Eventually, you know, Christendom happened. It, it didn't happen overnight. And if, you know, I think to St. Augustine's point with Donatism was that, you know, if there was a successive, um, you know, insistence on the church as a body being pure, it could never become the universal church. It could never become hegemonic. It being, you know, the touch point for culture. It wouldn't be the church that crowned the Holy Roman emperor. It wouldn't, it wouldn't fill those functions because it could never, it could never get off the ground. And so you have to kind of think in those terms that we're, we, we don't want to be so excessively pure in who we allow in the church or who we consider to be part of the church that the church can never grow. And I think that it's important to reflect on that. And this is controversial in light of the church's decision not to excommunicate certain politicians and understanding, you know, why, you know, the church may want to have, you know, people who are at least, you know, in a very strained way in the fold at all levels of of government and how it could really hinder the church's operation um, on many levels if if the church suddenly lost you know any representation in in government um, you know we want to turn all the structures of society Catholic and one of those structures for example has to be you know the largest and most successful political party in American history which is the Democratic Party so we do need Catholic Democrats. We do need Catholic politicians. We need Democratic Catholic politicians. Um, and, you know, right now that's engaging with certain ideas, particularly abortion, that we're very opposed to. Um, at the end of the day, we need Catholics within that structure. Um, and so, you know, as far as using your spheres of influence to orient society towards the church, you have to think broadly and with a, from a diplomatic standpoint of, you know, acting on the best interest of the church um, with the long term in mind. And so, yeah, on core principles like offering incense to pagan gods, that's a that's a no every single time, um, you know, but on lesser things, if if we can accommodate certain things, then, you know, sometimes it makes sense to do that. I think that the the mass popularity of Pope Francis, regardless of what it's motivated by, is is a blessing and something we should see as a gift from God and take full advantage of. Um, you know, I, I I know that for me personally, um, you know, years ago when people would praise Pope Francis, it would frustrate me because I knew that they weren't praising him because um, they liked Catholic doctrine or Catholic teaching. They just thought he seemed 
they liked his personality, they liked his style. Um, at the end of the day, you know, he is the head of the church, and having him be liked does provide the church with a certain amount of, you know, if you want to call it cover, to continue operating in a world that's increasingly hostile to what we believe. Um, you know, do you agree with me on that, Matt? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I mean, which part? He said a lot. I guess, I like, well, right, I said a lot of things. I, I think just specifically with the popularity of the current Pope in the culture from people who are, you know, not Catholic or not practicing or, or don't really have care much about what the church has to say. I see that as a good thing and something we should, we should recognize that that's sort of a, a, a tool like that gives the church coverage to continue operating in a world that's very hostile to our beliefs because everybody's kind of like, Oh, look, this Pope, he's so great. And you know, all this stuff we don't like, he's probably not even for. Um, and so because of that, we're not, you know, at the receiving end of, of a lot of direct hostility on an institutional level. Yeah. I mean, we want people to be more open to Catholicism and we want them to come in under the right terms, but the idea that people would potentially be more interested is always good. Right. Yeah. And again, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, if you say I'm Catholic, you know, it's easier to say, you know, oh yeah, Pope Francis, he's great than to be like, so what specifically is your thought on birth control? Like, do you think I'm going to hell because I have an IUD? You know, that, that isn't really a conversation you want to have. Um, and, you know, thankfully as Catholics, we have, um, you know, a lot of things like our architecture or our beautiful traditions or our super popular Pope um, that, you know, can kind of keep uh, the, the less engaged culture distracted from the things that are currently not acceptable at, to the culture so that we can keep converting souls and evangelizing and spreading. Um, you know, we, we've got to be smart about this. You know, our, isn't, was it wise as serpents? Wait, what? Isn't that what our Lord says? What? Doesn't our Lord say to be as wise as serpents? Uh, does he? I don't know. I, I'm not remembering that. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Um, yeah. So, you know, when our Lord is sending out the, the apostles, the first bishops to spread the church, he said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so, you know, sometimes we need to be a wise serpent. And that means you don't have to fall on every, every sword. You know, you don't have to jump out of your way to constantly bring up the church's doctrines that are culturally unpopular um, because what unless there's going to be a result that you're looking for other than just being a troll um, there's really no reason to constantly remind people that you know the church is at odds with their deeply held beliefs it just invites hostility and makes it to where the church can't fulfill its mission or reach the people it needs to reach we need the church to be able to operate you know, all over the world. And so constantly just nitpicking and trolling people about how unpopular it is, is not a winning strategy. And I think people will point to saints, you know, for the last few hundred years and show how they were such, they were so zealous about these things. And it's important to look at that, but it's also important to contextualize it. When we're starting from a thoroughly Catholic culture, and we're working in opposition to 
revolutionaries and people who are trying to tear that down, then of course it makes sense to basically act with sort of a belligerence or, you know, to completely, you know, shut these things out um, however we can. But when we're on the flip side, when we're working to win over the culture, we're not starting from a position of dominance, um, we're going to have to use different strategies. And so that's, you know, certain things are just, we're not, we're not protecting an established Catholic hegemony. We're trying to implement a Catholic hegemony, which means we have to be gradually, you know, increasing our influence and, and, you know, working for the church to have, um, you know, a more prominent role in society like it once had, that isn't going to happen from a bunker and from refusing to engage. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've said it. I don't know what else to add on that. Yeah. So instead of canceling your Netflix, instead of boycotting Starbucks, um, instead of signing open letters to the Pope or Bishop, whoever, um, instead of, you know, freaking out about Bishop retirements or this or that, um, you know, some practical things like we said, you know, obviously always start with your own soul and everyone eye rolls on that, but it's a good reminder in your family. Um, to work with the uh, institutional church by, you know, fulfilling administrative roles at the parish or diocese level um, or supporting the growth of your parish um, to help spread the Latin Mass, maybe especially to have a Latin Mass in your cathedral of your diocese um, at the invitation of your bishop. Um, And then, you know, beyond and outside the church and outside of your own family, you know, work to orient the world towards the the spiritual authority which you know ultimately is the pope and his bishops um you know not some vague notion of catholicism but the actual existing church and so you know that's those are the practical tips that i would have and so i you know to me that's not burying your head in the sand about scandals that's not looking the other way you know that's not just giving up and not caring to me that's doing the hard work that isn't immediately satisfying you don't get that thrill of you know, owning somebody with a tweet. Um, But, you know, in the long run, you can clear the path for just millions and millions of future saints. We're we're in the saints making business, Zach. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we need to focus on. And that sometimes comes at, uh, like, it, it, you know, it comes at, like, I don't know if begrudgingly, but like it comes at the expense of things we want to do or the things we like, right? Like we have to be willing to set aside some personal belief of ours in order to help push someone further to sainthood, I guess. And that comes with, you know, like you said, engaging and not just trying to bicker and be snippy the whole time. Right. You know, and like one last example I'll throw in is like, for instance, um, I think it was Cardinal Dolan who was invited to give the opening prayers at like Congress or something. Mm-hmm. And to do that, he was basically put in some kind of rotation where they had, you know, him. And then they also had somebody from like First Church of What's Happening Now and, um, you know, probably like a rabbi or something. And, you know, again, I would obviously say, it's not good to encourage indifference about religions or to put, you know, true and false religions on the same plane 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, in a, a culture that's not Catholic, getting a bishop, you know, in front of an entire branch of government is an important goal. And if that means having to be in the room with, with people and what, you know, I mean, that's where we have to think about, well, what, what's the higher priority as far as spreading the gospel and furthering the mission of the church? Um, yeah, like in a purely Catholic country, um, being part of some kind of, you know, interfaith conglomeration like that would, would, you know, there would be no reason to do that. Um, but in a country where we're not, you know, thoroughly Catholic yet, uh, we have to engage in those areas to get a platform and to, you know, to win influence. Yep. Yeah. That was a good work, Zach. You, you ran us through that, all that stuff. And I just kind of sat here idly by. This is well, perfect you know, the, because the haters you, come after us and I, I just can't let them do it anymore. Can't let you, them. You did 80% of the work, but I still get 50% of all of our, all of our millions that we make off this. So I know a, another thing you can do is go to our Patreon. <laughs> I mean, actually do it, but I that doesn't necessarily you're drive like, with this topic. You're like, stay away from Catholic grifters and you can do that at patreon.com slash Roman circus pod. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well, you know, Matt, you do all the editing. I don't even know how to upload a file. So, mm-hmm. um, I think the work, the workload division still skews towards you doing more of the work. So I think we're, I think we're good. Thanks. It's nice to hear you say that. Give me all the money. All the money. Yep. Anything else on that or is that a, no, I think that's a wrap. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's good. Once again, our saint of the week is all the saints ever. That, uh, yes, we love them all. Yeah, we love them all. Sorry, I'll get back to that next week. We'll do St. Catherine of Siena since she's constantly used as an argument against me. Her feast day um, is, is April 30th, which is also the birthday of one of the co-hosts of this podcast. The one named Matt Baker. That's um, me. That's so true. Yeah, so we'll <laughs> we'll just make St. Catherine of Siena the, the saint of the week for this episode um, and ask for her intercession for all of our listeners and their intentions perfect all right gang well thanks for listening and we will talk to you all next week see ya